From Bayside to Bedford Park, from Harlem to Huguenot, and right here in the borough of Brooklyn, it's 5 o'clock in the five boroughs, and so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Hey, this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, good to see you. You too, Ben. How you doing? Good. Show number two on BAI. Very exciting. Yeah, this is good. Good to be back. Uh, Last week, we had a really good conversation with one of the Democrats running to be the next attorney general of the state of New York. Highly powerful position, uh, not only in its powers in itself, but also has given repeated attorney generals the opportunity to run for governor. We have saw Elliot Spitzer and Andrew Cuomo become governor from the attorney general position. And we have a wide open race on the Democratic side in the primary, and then we'll have an interesting general election. So last week, we talked with public advocate Letitia James about her candidacy. We played a little bit of our prior interview with Zephyr Teachout. So those are two of the Democratic candidates for attorney general. And today we'll be hearing from Alicia Eve, who is a longtime uh, Clinton advisor and Cuomo administration advisor. And she is one of uh, the third of, of four Democrats. We have an outstanding invitation to the fourth person on that primary ballot, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney. We're hoping to have him on at some point before the September 13th primary. Yeah, and folks should certainly, if you're registered, really with the Democratic Party, there's really uh, no other primaries in New York City. If you're registered the Democratic primary, you should mark that on your calendar Thursday, September 13th. It's been moved from a Tuesday uh, because of the Jewish holidays, and it's on the 13th, a Thursday. Folks should get ready to vote in the Democratic primary. There's interesting races for governor, lieutenant governor, and certainly attorney general, which we're digging into, and then there's a bunch of state legislative races as well. So we're working our way through here the Democratic attorney general candidates. The winner of that primary will face Keith Wooford, the Republican nominee in the general election, and also a couple of other minor party candidates who will be on the general election ballot. And we'll hopefully talk to them uh, after primary day. And Ben, you mentioned September 13th, which seems like it's a long way away, but all the races you talked about are definitely heating up, um, getting in some cases very uh, competitive, very nasty in cases. Uh, We had an interesting endorsement yesterday, the Muslim Democrats Association, I believe is what it's called. Democratic Club. Democratic Club uh, endorsed uh, Cynthia Nixon in the governor's race. Uh, We have uh, Governor Cuomo was down in Puerto Rico again this week for, I think, the fifth time since the hurricanes. Um, So that's an interesting contest that's becoming certainly more spirited, even if the polls indicate it's still uh, not much of a contest. Right. I I mean, I think coming out of the victory of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez over Joe Crowley, we can't be totally sure what to believe, what's happening, what kind of waves are going on. So we need to be very careful not to put too much weight into polls. We also need to evaluate the polls closely as always, who they're talking to, who they might be measuring, et cetera. There's no question that someone like Governor Cuomo has a lot of advantages, so he should certainly be seen as a front runner. But we just don't know in this atmosphere where there's progressive insurgency, certainly there's a lot of unrest in the Donald Trump era among Democrats who you know, feel like they want to take control of the party from the left wing. So a lot of interesting trends to keep an eye on. And we don't know how that'll play out, certainly in this wide open primary for attorney general. And you sense that, Ben, in almost all the races, people sort of trying to feel their way around, as you mentioned, this very unsettled kind of febrile environment. And in some cases, kind of picking and choosing, endorsing some of the insurgents, but not others. Um, Some of those insurgents crossing, endorsing, and some not. Uh, People are clearly trying to find their way around this particular moment. And it's especially true, one might say, in in this attorney general's race, because this is a race we did not expect to have, only facilitated by the resignation of 
of one, at one point incumbent and locked to be reelected Eric Schneiderman. Yeah, exactly. And now, um, you know, the whole democratic order has to do a lot of choosing in this in this political season, including in this AG race. Uh, we wrote an article about this at Gotham Gazette, how basically every Democratic elected official, uh, non-elected you know, leader clubs have to choose. They have to choose in the Cuomo-Nixon primary. They have to choose in the Germani Williams-Kathy Hochul lieutenant governor primary. They have to choose in this AG race. And then they have to choose in all of these state Senate primaries that involve the former members of the Independent Democratic Conference. Uh, there's eight of them, six that represent parts of New York City. These are folks that broke away, formed their own conference, and had a coalition government with Republicans in the state Senate that helped bolster a very small Senate Republican majority that's aided by another rogue Democrat in Brooklyn, Simka Felder, who is not part of the IDC. It's very complicated. But the bottom line is that in this election year, when the entire state legislature is on the ballot, we have spirited, if not fully competitive, you know, we don't know how close these races are going to be, but we have spirited at least challenges to all eight former members of the IDC. And we have some episodes of this show coming up that will include some of those folks running in those races, both the incumbents that used to be part of the IDC and their challengers. Definitely. But now it's time to bring in a person whom the voters will have to choose uh, or decide whether to choose. And that's uh, Attorney General candidate, Democrat for Attorney General, Ms. Licia Eve. Welcome to WBAI. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ben and Jared. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So uh, you've had quite a career in government and around government. Uh, you're currently working uh, for Verizon in an intergovernmental capacity. But why don't you tell listeners um, just a little bit about that career? You know, if you're sort of meeting someone for the first time, maybe that kind of one-minute pitch about your, your resume, your career. Well, first of all, this is a, I really appreciate the opportunity because the Office of Attorney General is more important than it has ever been, certainly in my lifetime. I'm 53. I'm going to be 54 uh, years of age next month. I have never, never witnessed anything like what we are experiencing right now uh, with this person, Donald Trump, assaulting our reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights, environmental rights, uh, criminal justice reform that was underway under the Obama administration. So many things that we and values that we as New Yorkers and Americans hold dear are under assault. And I am running because now more than ever, New Yorkers need someone to protect, defend, and empower them. And you mentioned my uh, career in uh, primarily public service. Um, a little bit about me. I'm from a place called Buffalo, about eight hours west of here, but have been living in New York City uh, for the past seven years. But my first job, frankly, uh, after I graduated from Harvard Law School, the John F. Kennedy School of Government, was clerking for a judge on the state's highest court. And when I clerked for him, I lived in Brooklyn. And uh, my experience from working for the state's highest court, where for two years I had conversations with judges about the most fundamental legal issues of our time based upon the state statutes and constitution, the federal constitution, to my experience as a litigator in federal and state courts in the state of New York as well as Washington, D.C., 
and the public service uh, career that I have had fighting in the trenches for social justice uh, as uh, one of the Judiciary Committee counsels to Joe Biden, a spectacular public servant and a great boss, by the way, uh, as the counsel and Homeland Security advisor to Hillary Clinton for four and a half years, including before, during, and after the September 11th terrorist attacks. And before uh, joining Verizon, I was Governor Cuomo's chief economic development advisor, overseeing 11 agencies and state government. And now, because, you know, frankly, public service has always uh, been at the heart of who I am, uh, I am the most recent commissioner on the Board of Commissioners of Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, uh, chairing the Security Committee uh, in large part because of my homeland security expertise and experience uh, dating back to uh, really before the September 11th the terrorist attack. So I'm running because I am going to be that attorney general who's going to protect, defend, and empower New Yorkers. And we need someone with experience, with a track record of fighting in the trenches, not just giving good speeches, but a track record of fighting in the trenches and delivering. Uh, and, and that's what I have, almost 30 years of work. And I want to bring all of that to bear to serve New Yorkers, uh, to the best of my ability, now when we need uh, the most effective attorney general uh, possible. You mentioned your work uh, early in your career for Senator Biden and then for Senator and candidate Clinton. And I'm, I'm curious, in the past year or two, you mentioned the threats that uh, President Trump represents. But another signal turn in our politics has been a move among Democrats away from the, uh, for lack of a better word, centrism of the Biden and Clinton wing of the party toward an embrace of a more strident economic critique and some policies uh, that flow from that. I'm curious, how comfortable are you? with that change in the party's direction? Do you feel you're in step with it? And do you feel it uh, has the promise of electoral success? I'm extremely comfortable with it. That's who I am. Uh, you know, let me just give you some sense of the work that I did for Joe Biden. Uh, I advised him on a range of issues, but the two issues that I spent more time on than any other advising him alongside somebody named Tom Perez, who was working for Ted Kennedy at the time, uh, were immigration and implementation of the Violence Against Women Act, two issues that are very much at the fore uh, today. Uh, you may know, and many of your viewers, I'm sure, know that Joe was the author of the Violence Against Women Act, and so it was my job to work with literally dozens of organizations across the country whose sole mission was to support survivors of domestic violence and physical assault. Uh, that work, uh, sadly, is critically important in 2018 because of all that we know, let alone all that we don't know. When I was counsel and Homeland Security Advisor to Hillary Clinton, I fought aggressively to advance good judges and fought against uh, bad judges fought for the advancement of civil rights and against the rollback of civil rights. One of the pieces of legislation that I crafted that I'm so extraordinarily proud of, because it goes to literally the core of our democracy and who we are as New Yorkers and as Americans, is a piece of legislation that had felon reenfranchisement for the nation. That's not in 2018. That was 2005. Same-day registration. No excuse absentee balloting. Uh, early voting. Uh, the New York Times not only talked about this legislation that I crafted working with dozens of civil rights and voting rights and good government organizations across New York 
and across the country, but the New York Times editorialized it as the gold standard for election reform that should be the law of our land. And that experience is so pertinent today because if elected attorney general, there will be no more fierce advocate and fighter against all that Donald Trump is doing to undermine so much of what we hold dear. But frankly, we have a lot of issues in this state. We have a horrific criminal justice system that cries out for reform every minute of every hour of every day. Uh, and that's on us. That has nothing to do with Donald Trump. That's on us. And I will lead the charge of us having the kind of criminal justice system that should be leading the nation as opposed to following it. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought us uh, uh, back, to, back to New York. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, our election laws are some of the worst in the country. We, we don't have same-day registration. We don't have no excuse absentee balloting. You know, Florida, you know, and states that are much more, quote-unquote, politically conservative than, than uh, New York have early voting, and we don't have it. We make it so hard for New Yorkers to vote, and frankly, that's why there has been, in large part, such a low level of participation. I have decades of experience on this issue, uh, and bring to the fore a commitment that is unmatched to move New York forward as Attorney General while also fighting back against uh, Donald Trump's efforts uh, to roll back so much of the progress we have made uh, across this nation and in New York on so many fronts. So we're talking with Licia Eve, a Democratic candidate for Attorney General in this year's primary, which will be voted on September 13th. If you want to talk with Miss Eve, you can call us at 347-335-0818, and we'll open up to a couple calls in a few minutes. But uh, first, a couple more questions for you. Uh, you mentioned, you know, both fighting the Trump uh, administration and things coming out of Washington, and also that there's plenty to do here at home in New York. Uh, one of the issues that is certainly bubbling up in this attorney general race is the question of public corruption in New York, uh, government officials, both elected and appointed, abusing the public trust. We've seen recent trials and convictions of legislative leaders, but also aides and, and people close to Governor Cuomo. Can you talk a little bit about, as AG, what you see the attorney general's role is in fighting public corruption? And as part of that, uh, how you would work with a Governor Cuomo if he is reelected and you are Attorney General, uh, given that you've worked for him before? Well, first, let me say the corruption that takes, has taken place across the state not only saddens me, but it really angers me. And I hope it angers all of us. You know, I am the daughter of two great public servants. Uh, my father, who is a progressive, probably the most progressive, prolific legislator on the issues of criminal justice reform and educational opportunity that this state has ever known. And my mom, who taught for 33 years in her retirement, founded what became the largest and most comprehensive alternatives to incarceration for women in the state of New York in the state's history. So I grew up viewing public service as a calling. And today, at 53 years of age, I still view public service as a calling, just like teaching or nursing or uh, someone's choosing to uh, be a religious leader. And I am angered, as we all should be, about so many elected and appointed officials 
who conduct themselves uh, in a way that is the antithesis. Do you think it's the attorney general's uh, role, though, to, to investigate that and look into that? There's some people who say that's not really Without the job. No, listen, it's the job. It's, when I am elected attorney general and sworn in on day one, on January 1, whether it is part of some formal job description or not, the job of the attorney general is, and it's in the state's constitution, it's in the state's constitution, the job of the attorney general is to protect Ms. Eve, you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know. Are you are you moving about? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm much so better. upset talking about <laughs> But, sure. you know, no, listen, uh, there will be no more uh, fierce advocate uh, and fighter against corruption uh, than I. And without question, without question, this is within the responsibilities of the Office of Attorney General. We have Corruption a, we have a call. Conduct. We have a call I want to go to, uh, but I want to ask quickly, just going back to the, the more distant past briefly, in your role as the Homeland Security Advisor to Senator Clinton, I'm curious what your take was on the Patriot Act, one of the more controversial post-9-11 pieces of legislation, and some of the criticisms about the overreach within that act. What was, what was your take on it, and what was your advice to her? Listen, there were many provisions about in the Patriot Act that uh, I was uh, deeply concerned about uh, and that I worked uh, alongside Hillary uh, to have removed from the Patriot Act. Unfortunately, in the aftermath of September 11th, there was a lot of overreaching on the part of not only the president, but many members of the con- of Congress at the time. Uh, and the Patriot Act in whole contain many provisions that never should have been enacted into law. I am proud to say, however, that in addition to fighting against uh, the overreaching that was in Patriot Act, I crafted legislation that basically said racial profiling is illegal. And frankly, not only is it illegal, it's immoral. And I remember standing alongside members of the law enforcement community who said, oh, and by the way, it's an ineffective law enforcement tool. On the record, focusing on these issues literally weeks after the September 11th terrorist attacks, but I will tell you the work about which I was most proud of the Homeland Security space is working with firefighters uh, and those uh, first responders and law enforcement across the state, across the country, who had exponentially greater burdens placed on them in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks and actually crafted a piece of legislation that the firefighters reached out to Hillary about uh, and said, listen, we have all these uh, firefighters who have been killed, and there's a program called the Federal Public Safety Officers Benefit Program. Long story short, there's so much red tape involved with this program. We need legislation enacted that would facilitate, uh, you know, getting resources to the families of the fallen as quickly as possible. I'm proud to say in a day, I worked with the fire service in New York and nationally to craft this bill, which the Senate and the House passed unanimously and President Bush signed into law that got released to the families that needed it within days of, of the terrorist attack. So very proud of the work uh, that I did that uh, stands the test of time uh, to this day. Let's hear from a caller. Welcome to WBAI. Who are you? Where are you calling from? And what's your brief question for Alicia Eve? Yeah, quick question. Uh, 
station from New York, New York voter. Um, thank you very much, first of all, for your service and all you've done for the state of New York. But um, I have to say, as a New Yorker, a voter in New York, a, a listener of BAI and many other stations and radio stations, TV stations, from Al Jazeera to WBAI, uh, Fox. Um, Go ahead with, which, the, with what's your question. The, the, the question is, you're, you, you've worked for so many of the same elected officials that many of us, a growing number of us, uh, are no longer uh, no longer uh, support, and you've worked for all of them. So why would we, what's so special about what you're going to do if you were to be elected? Uh, would you just be the same old type of politician that you've worked for, the ones that we are really growing disenchanted with what 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 two specific things that would be unique about your candidacy what would you do that's so special and different from any other good question well thank you for your question and thank you for being a voter because unfortunately far too few new yorkers do vote which is uh and we need to take responsibility and get many more of our friends and family members to the polls i've spent my entire professional career my entire professional career advancing the rights of women and advocating for the disenfranchised and protecting the vulnerable. The very first matter that I handled of any significance as a litigator and of the case about which I am most proud to this day was a case that I handled working with three other young women associates in Washington, D.C., where we represented all women incarcerated in District of Columbia prisons against the District of Columbia because of the prison conditions they were living in. As you can imagine, sir, if you're going to sue the city government of the most powerful city, of the most powerful nation on earth, you're going to get a lot of pushback. And we did. A lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. But my team and I stayed the course because failure was not an option. I was in charge of the obstetrical gynecological care part of the case. One of my clients had her leg shackled to a bed as she brought a child into the world in the nation's capital in our country. And I'm proud to say, because despite the pushback from the most powerful city of the most powerful nation on earth, we stayed the course and we were successful and got precedented setting relief for all women incarcerated in all districts Columbia prison, and that case stands the test of time today and has impact not just the District of Columbia, but with respect to prison reform across the country. And so I just give that as an example to you. Listen, you may not like Joe Biden or you may not like Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's your right, right? That's one of the great things, um, you know, about our country, right? We can support people that we like. We can vote against people that we don't. I happen to believe they were great Americans. Now, did I agree with every position that they had? No, I don't actually agree with everything that, you know, members of my family. But at the end of the day, my experience from the time that I was a young associate where I chose to represent on a pro bono basis, meeting for free, spending thousands of hours representing forgotten people. Most people don't give a rat's ass about somebody who's been convicted of a crime and who's in prison. But I felt that injustice, whether it's to you, sir, or whether to us a woman incarcerated in a prison in our nation's capital, is injustice that needed to be remedied. And that's, that's how my legal career began. 
Thank, and thank. the fighter that existed 28 years ago in representing hundreds of women incarcerated in District of Columbia prisons is the fighter that you will have if I am fortunate enough to be elected uh, your next attorney general. So thank you, Jason, for the call, and uh, thank you, Ms. Eve, for the answer. We're going to go right to another call here. Uh, you're on WBAI. Who are you? Where are you calling from? And uh, what's your question for Ms. Eve? Thank you very much from Brooklyn. This is Dee. I, I wanted to just say that... Um, Along the same um, lines as the previous caller, I my thing is you worked for Verizon, uh, which is a monolithic mogul. Um, I have Verizon service in my home, and I find that the rates go up and up, and they want to discontinue landlines. They want to digitize every, I mean, make it all like cell phones. Even though it's in your home, it's not a landline anymore. No more hard wiring. And uh, I don't know. I just find that Verizon is, is, is against the will of the people. It's not uh, serving us. It, they were, my father told me they divested, um, I mean, they, they had the Telecommunications Act in the 90s, and they um, were supposed to get more. Um, so, Dee, thank, thank you for the call. We're going to uh, let Ms. Eve talk a little bit about her work for Verizon. Well, first of all, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that you're a customer because you didn't have to be a customer of Verizon. You could be a customer of another provider. So thank you for being a customer. Let me just say uh, I am proud to work for a company that employs nearly 20,000 New Yorkers, 10,000 in the city of New York, New York uh, alone each and every day with good-paying jobs. The last time I checked, the average salary of our installation or repair techs, including overtime, was $160,000 with no college degree required. Last year alone, my company invested uh, nearly $2 billion you know, in our wireline and wireless networks. Is uh, my company, like any other company, perfect? Absolutely not. Just like no person is perfect. But we've got more than 100 million customers, millions of whom call New York City home, uh, and they have other choices about uh, their providers, but have chosen a Verizon because we do provide very good service. But we, I'm, we I'm just explain a little bit about the work, the specific work that you've done for Verizon, what exactly the role uh, is and, and you know what you've accomplished in it? Sure, sure. So I oversee government affairs. I Well, first of all, I should say I'm on a voluntary unpaid leave of absence uh, and have been now for more than a month uh, because I believe it's important for, for voters to hear from me and all the other candidates for attorney general. So, you know, I'm not doing another job while I'm doing this. I am a full-time candidate and on an unpaid uh, leave of absence uh, from my job. Um, but when uh, before I took my leave, I oversaw government affairs for Verizon for the states of New York, New Jersey, uh, and Connecticut. Uh, within the region, New York alone, as I said, uh, Verizon employs nearly 20,000 New Yorkers, and throughout the region, uh, nearly 40,000. And so that that was my uh, work, and uh, I hope that I'm going to be victorious on September 13th in November, in which case that I won't be working for Verizon anymore. <laughs> but um, it is a company that, listen, I mean, it could choose to do business anywhere in the nation, but it chose to do business uh, in this city and in this state. And without getting too uh, technical, um, I did want to just briefly mention, um, I think what the caller was referring to is 
um, what we call copper service that has existed since the late uh, 19th century. Um, when you think about horse and buggy days, um, we are upgrading our network from copper to fiber, which is best in class, which provides a much better communications experience, which is the reason why we have as many customers as we do. And so, Tom, sometimes when there's a transition, um, you know, we probably can do a better job explaining to customers what that transition is about. But the transition is about um, having uh, moving customers from a copper service which is decades and decades and decades old, uh, to a much more improved service. And frankly, that's the reason why we have the millions of customers that we do across the city, across the state, across the nation. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM listener-sponsored non-commercial radio. We're Max and Murphy on with Alicia Eve, one of the Democrats seeking the nomination for Attorney General. We're coming down to the end of our time, but we do have another call. Caller, you're on BAI. Give us your question very quickly. Hello. Hi, yes, welcome to BAI. Go ahead with your question. Hi, uh, yes. It's actually two things. So um, Verizon was actually one of the uh, businesses that turned over uh, to the NSA uh, information so that uh, people could be uh, spied on by the state. That's A. And then the second thing was that one of the callers asked you a question, and you did not answer it. As Attorney General, if Governor Cuomo were reelected, what would you what would you do to prevent and prosecute uh, corruption within that administration. You do not answer that question. So, oh, I, I apologize. I think there were three questions, so I think I had answered the first two. So let me briefly answer both. Um, with respect to NSA, all carriers uh, have an obligation to respond to any kind of request that comes from our federal government, and that's what Verizon, as well as other telecommunications providers, did. Totally consistent uh, with the law, not going anywhere uh, beyond it. As it relates to Governor Cuomo, without question, if there's corruption at any level of government, whether it's by a city council person, a state legislature, or the executive branch, I would investigate that corruption. Uh, I am running not as an endorsed candidate, not as a party candidate, but as an independent voice for New Yorkers, and without question would, cop- would prosecute corruption wherever I would find it, regardless of what administration or what person engaged in it. So, Lisa, Eve, we're, we're going to uh, leave it there. Just quickly on the gubernatorial primary that's being fought out between Governor Cuomo and Cynthia Nixon, is that something you're staying out of, or do you have an endorsement in that race? No, I don't. I'm focused solely on, uh, on my race <laughs> and uh, not engaging uh, in others. And gotcha. I'm very proud, frankly, that uh, I am, frankly, not the endorsed candidate. I'm going to be on the ballot on September 13th because more than 40,000 New Yorkers across this city and across this state uh, learned about my campaign uh, and made a decision they wanted to support me and get me on the ballot and sign their name on the dotted line. And so our grassroots effort across the state began through the petition process, and it's continuing uh, from Brooklyn to my hometown of Buffalo. And uh, I hope and believe that we will be victorious in September 13th. And I really thank you again 
uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak to some of your uh, viewers and to take questions from them as well. I really appreciate the opportunity. And Lisa Eve, we appreciate your time with us today and your openness to taking those calls. And hopefully we'll speak with you again before that September 13th primary. Good luck on the campaign trail. Thanks so much and have a great rest of the day. You too. Take care. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Max and Murphy on 99.5 WBAI, listener-sponsored non-commercial radio. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, here with my colleague Ben Max of Gotham Gazette. And we're going to discuss our interview with Alicia Eve, the Democrat running, one of the Democrats running for Attorney General, in just a moment. But first, we want to take some time to address the story involving our new home here uh, for Max and Murphy WBAI. Yeah, so as many uh, listeners know, you know, we started the show last week and around the same time, uh, Leonard Lopate, who uh, was recently brought to WBI as well to do a daily show. Uh, Mr. Lopate um, was on WBI many years ago, uh, is, be- is better known for his longtime uh, show on WNYC radio. In December, he was suspended, then let go at WNYC uh, amid some accusations that he used inappropriate language with subordinates, uh, although there were a lot of details that were not necessarily uh, divulged. Uh, WNYC did not reveal its full internal findings, uh, but the WNYC news staff reported that uh, there were some, you know, allegations of inappropriate language, which Mr. Lopate denied. Uh, his fire, his hiring at WBAI has prompted some longtime hosts to quit, and we wanted to address it a little bit here on the air, since we are just joining the air at WBAI as well. We don't speak for WBAI. We're very grateful to be here. Uh, We hope the station's management will at some point more fully explain its thinking around this hire. Uh, The fact is, I think it's it's fair to say there's just not a lot of information about these underlying incidents, uh, the history on this. Um, It it should go without saying, though, I think that, uh, but it's worth saying anyway, that Ben and I believe everyone should be treated with respect especially subordinates in the workplace is something we believe as people and as, frankly, managers, uh, and that anyone who doesn't do that should either change uh, or be punished. Yeah, and, and you know, WBAI and the, and the new low-paid show have put some information on the show page at WBAI addressing some of this. Uh, it hasn't really been addressed on the air, but they did put some information on the website. Uh, we're not currently, you know, investigating uh, what happened. The folks at WMIC and other publications have done that. You know, we respect WBAI uh, because it's had a very long time commitment to open discussion. Uh, our being here doesn't endorse anyone else who's on the air. Uh, frankly, we, we don't know who's on the air 24 hours a day, and we're certainly not listening 24 hours a day. Um, uh, you know, we're not paid to be here, but we, you know, have been excited about doing this show. And we do the show because our mission as as individual journalists and the missions of our our employers, Gotham Gazette and City Limits, is about informing the public. And this live radio show gives us a chance to do that more effectively. Uh, We're really excited about the conversation we had last week with uh, Letitia James. We're excited to talk about what we just heard from Leicia Eve. We're very excited about future conversations we'll have on the show. And all those conversations are ongoing, including this one. And yeah. so we're really looking forward to hear from you uh, about all our guests and all the topics we raise, including uh, this topic of, of the, the Me Too moment and how we sit in it. 
Yeah, and, and again, you know, we don't have full information about um, what's happened with Mr. Lopate. There was an agreement with WMIC that has not been made public. So, you know, some of this conversation is obviously going to continue. You know, I've heard from some people asking me questions about what I know and don't know, and I don't know a lot. So, um, you know, we're trying to trying to hash all this out um, while we're mainly focused on our on our work as, you know, public affairs and policy and governmental uh, affairs journalists. And so uh, in that vein, you know, we're going to return to to the topic of today's show and our interview with Lisa Eve. Um, And so, Jarrett, you know, what what do you think? Oh, you know, it's interesting, uh, especially the contrast with Letitia James last week, who we felt anyway to our readers was our listeners, I should say, a much more known quantity having been a councilwoman from Brooklyn for a number of years and now in her second term as the the number two citywide official. Lisa Eve has been active in political circles for longer, um, but is much less of a known quantity. And that's why it was interesting to hear her uh, introduce herself and talk about that that length of service, which has had her, you know, working for Joe Biden, working for Senator Clinton and candidate Clinton, and then for Governor Cuomo in a few different uh, capacities. And as some of the later callers focused on in the private sector more recently. Yeah, absolutely. I think she has a fascinating resume. And, and like you said, people might not necessarily know a lot about her or have heard the name before, but she, as she indicated, has been involved at the highest levels of government, involved in some major policy uh, work, and also has these connections to this wing of the Democratic Party that is a bit under siege. Um, you know, we asked her a bit more about her work, or she taught, and she talked a bit more about her work with Biden, with Clinton, than with Cuomo. But of course, Andrew Cuomo is on the ballot this year and is the focus of a lot of the ire of the of the left of the party and a lot of questions around that. And so, you know, it was definitely interesting to hear the last caller reiterate one of the questions that I threw at her. And I think she was correct that I had, you know, asked a multi-part question. So those aren't always the easiest to answer. Um, but it was good to, you know, to get her again on the record talking about the role of the attorney general vis-a-vis the governor, and this is something that's coming under a lot of scrutiny as we talk about, you know, and she made oblique reference to this not being the party endorsed candidate, which is Tish James, who we had on last week, uh, who is backed by the state party, backed by Governor Cuomo. And she explained to us last week why she's backing Governor Cuomo. And you heard Lisa Eve say, I'm proud not to be the party back candidate. Easy thing for the not party back candidate to say, um, but also say she's staying out of the gubernatorial primary. If for callers who want to discuss this or any other topic in city or state politics, the number here is 347-335-0818. If you get a busy signal, keep calling. It means the lines are jacked full of people who want to talk. Uh, in the category, Ben, of things I wish I had asked the caller before, uh, the guest before they left is, you know, in 2006, Lisa Eve wanted, sought yes, statewide yes. office. She tried, she ran for lieutenant governor and ultimately decided not to contest a primary against David Patterson. Of course, with hindsight, we know what happened after that. Governor Spitzer was elected. He had to resign. Patterson became governor, was a fairly weak governor. Um, there were a lot of consequences to that. It really goes down to her decision not to uh, contest that primary. And I don't know if she would have stood a chance, but now we have a, a much you know, much more contested primary for Attorney General. She obviously is not yielding the field to Tish James or anybody else. She is, as you mentioned earlier on, we have to take polls with a grain of salt, trailing in the polls. She is, along with Zephyr Teachout, trailing in the money race uh, behind uh, James and Representative Maloney. Uh, And so the question, I guess, in the remaining eight weeks of the campaign is, how does a candidate like Lisa Eve distinguish herself from the others and get her message out? 
And whether or not there's going to be a debate or debates is a very key question. I think. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, we didn't quite have time to ask her. We wanted to make sure we got a, a few calls in. Um, so we're happy to sacrifice some of our time asking her questions and hopefully we'll get her back. But, you know, there are, there are clear advantages and disadvantages that each candidate have. Uh, Tish James has the advantage. She's even seen as a front runner in their polls, even though there's a lot of people that seem to be undecided and there's a lot of this race left to run in a short period of time. But, you know, Zephyr Teachout has been calling for a series of debates. Lisa Eve has been the only other candidate to agree to them. They're, Teachout especially is trying to put pressure on Tish James and Representative Maloney to agree to those debates. Uh, that will be very interesting because that puts all the candidates sort of on a stage, on the same uh, level playing field, and they have to really articulate their candidacies in short sound bites and make their case to the voters. One thing that I think we saw in that interview with Lisi Eve is that, you know, she wasn't that great at specifically answering the questions and giving a direct answer. And she talked a lot about her career, which was very interesting. So I don't begrudge her for going back to some of her accomplishments and things she feels like she's worked on that have gone well or the impact that she's had. Uh, but even, you know, even with the caller, even with our questions, there weren't, there weren't in several cases, direct answers. And, you know, one of the things I asked her was, you know, what exactly did you do for Verizon? And she didn't really want to seem to want to discuss that because I think, you know, it's government lobbying. Right. I mean, I don't begrudge her talking about the resume. I still mention the fact that I worked at McDonald's in high school. <laughs> Very proud of that. But I think one of the things that goes to Ben is that in a race like this, you have four people who, and I won't say they are ideologically indistinguishable, but they are all basically progressive Democrats of one stripe or another. How do you distinguish yourself? And does that go to how are you going to focus the powers of the attorney general or your competency for the job? And, you know, we've heard most of the attorney general candidates focusing primarily on positioning the state as a node of resistance to Donald Trump, uh, which is obviously important and very interesting to many, many voters. But it struck me, and I think we were talking before we came on the air, you know, when Elliot Spitzer was running for attorney general, was attorney general, his trademark was that he was the sheriff of Wall Street. Uh, that became less a focus under Andrew Cuomo and Eric Schneiderman. But now with Republicans in power in Washington rolling back some of the post-recession um, controls on Wall Street and on the financial sector, I wonder if any of the candidates will start talking more about the AG's potential job, given where they sit very close to Wall Street, to regulate the financial sector from their job in Albany or their downtown office. Well, just to add one, two more things on that. One is that you know, Schneiderman didn't even really have to go after the companies. He was able to, you know, make all these settlements to bring in billions of dollars to the state coffers. And that's a subject for another time. We should have a whole show on what's happened with those billions of dollars of settlement money and how uh, Governor Cuomo has fought for them and used them. And, you know, he's got all sorts of uh, budget trickery that he does all the time. Uh, but there were lots of settlements with the with financial uh, companies. You know, Zephyr Teachout is talking quite a bit about that, right? She's the one candidate who's saying, I will crack down on Wall Street and I will crack down on real estate. And, you know, she's definitely staked herself out as sort of potentially the most aggressive, litigious, um, and I think you would say left wing of the of the candidates. Now, we certainly now have talked to three of them in the last few weeks and we need to talk to Rep Maloney, but, um, you know, she's staking that ground out. Clearly, Lisa Eve and Tish James are balancing both lots of government experience and some ties to the establishment, but also progressive principles. We heard Lisi Eve talk about 
criminal justice reform, something the other candidates have also talked about. Again, she didn't quite go into detail there about what she would want to pursue as attorney general on that front. Uh, but that's certainly something that she indicated she would want to push in a progressive direction. She talked about voting laws. Some of these things are not necessarily things that the attorney general has control over. We need to keep that in mind. Eric Schneiderman put forward policy platforms and work with state legislature legislators to introduce a bunch of legislation that hasn't passed around these areas. That's not really the job of the attorney general, though clearly using that bully pulpit can be effective if you really push it. And again, if you want to talk to us here on Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5, the number is 347-335-0818. Speaking of Zephyr Teachout, she was part of a national story that broke, uh, I guess, earlier today about a decision in a lawsuit by uh, attorneys general in Maryland and the District of Columbia around the question of emoluments and whether the use of one of the Trump hotels could potentially be an emolument to uh, President Trump. And her book was apparently cited repeatedly in the decision that said, at least on a procedural level, that that case can go forward. Right. There was a ruling that Teach Out and her campaign are very excited about um, where this idea of the president receiving payments from foreign governments and the question about whether that's um, in violation of a clause in the Constitution is moving forward. There's there's questions around whether that would finally make him divest from some of his business, which he said he was doing during the campaign and then didn't do, uh, whether it can get at some of his tax returns, which again, he has not released. So that's very interesting. That's going forward. And that bolsters, you know, Teach Out, who hasn't had this government experience. She has been an expert on corruption in government. She's been a law professor. She's written this book. Um, so that's where she's sort of pitching her her candidacy. We have a call, so let's go to that. Welcome to WBAI. Who are you? Where are you calling from? And what's your question? Hi. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Kat. I'm calling from Brooklyn. And my question is, are you guys going to have any Green Party candidates on your show so that we can get you know, their perspective and what they are about and what they want to do? Uh, yes, we are definitely going to. Right now, we're focusing on the primary races, which are which are crowded with Democrats. But certainly after the 13th of September, we fully intend to, to bring Green Party candidates and other third party candidates if we can if we can get them on onto the show. Yeah, Larry Sharp is running for governor on the Libertarian line. Uh, they don't they aren't guaranteed a ballot line, but the, the, the Libertarian Party usually is able to petition its way onto the gubernatorial ballot. So we'll look to have Larry Sharp on. Howie Hawkins is running again for governor on the Green Party line. So we're certainly uh, going to be talking to those folks or at least inviting them on. We think they'll accept. Um, and then, you know, in the other races like Comptroller and Attorney General and, and Lieutenant Governor, there's other candidates from those parties as well. So we'll, we'll be talking to, to folks of all political stripes. Um, we're definitely focusing now between because there is so much happening in the primaries uh, in the on the Democratic side. We're definitely focusing focusing on those races, um, but we do plan to have a variety of, of candidates on. Let's go to another call. Who's this and where are you calling from? Hi, this is Isabel calling from New York. Hey, I just wanted to make one comment about something that your um, candidate, Lisa Eve, said um, that I felt was misleading. Um, two things. One was that, you know, oh, if you don't have Verizon, you have a choice. You could go to a different company, but actually we don't have a choice. We have a choice between two equally unaffordable uh, companies to get our phone service from. And I was... Um, it's fair point. What, hello? Yeah, go ahead. I said fair point. Your second? Fair point. <laughs> and two, 
Um, regarding copper wiring being antiquated, it's not. And I wish I still had my copper wiring because it is the only type of wiring that you uh, will still have working in a power outage because Fios will not work when your battery runs out. I was a victim of Sandy during the uh, Superstorm Sandy. Our whole building was flooded out, and we had copper wiring. I had copper wiring, which I lost because uh, Verizon was unwilling to restore the copper wiring to me. I Let me ask DSL. you something quickly, yes. uh, Isabel, and I appreciate the points, um, but it does does Lisa Eves' uh, work for Verizon uh, um, automatically take her off the table for you if you're considering? Yes. Okay. Yes, well, she does. Thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Speaking of Verizon, and that will let us segue into discussion today about other tech giants, uh, Zephyr Teachout came out to talk about the um, massive staff cuts of the Daily News uh, earlier this week, very very disturbing and devastating to us as, as readers and as colleagues of some of those people. And she was speaking about the role that Facebook and Google pl- play in terms of the amount of digital ad revenue that they get to take, um, despite uh, the traffic being generated by other people's content. We don't have time to delve into that too much. But Ben, just your general reaction to what's happened to the Daily News, how will that change coverage of this campaign? This is happening in the midst of a statewide campaign. Yeah, you know, it's it's terrible to see a newsroom like the Daily News or any other really, you know, cut like this. Um, it's definitely going to hurt the coverage of election season. But, you know, even even more so than election season, the Daily News is so good at digging in on the local issues that matter to, you know, quote unquote, everyday New Yorkers, people who are interested in what's happening around education and crime and, you know, just in the city, city issues, uh, transportation for sure. Now, they're still going to be putting out a paper, of course, and they are and they still have some really good reporters covering those issues. And, you know, you hate to see some of the some of the folks that we know, the Aaron Durkins and the Glenn Baines, who you know do some of the work we do. That's very policy and government focused. Let go, um, but you also you know had to sort of cringe and then take a breath about some of the people that that did remain, including the members of that are editorial board who are important on you know weighing in on important policy matters. So it's definitely a loss to the city. Um, you know, my take. You know, people have been talking about do I subscribe to the daily news to now to help them at least stay afloat do i cancel my subscription i already had you know my take has been keep your subscription or subscribe now even though you're sending some money to this you know corporate overlord of tronk who's making these cuts and doesn't seem to care about the people or the paper quite as much as you know others do um the daily news you know is is something that we need absolutely and i think uh, among the kind of injuries um, resulting from the cuts to the Daily News is that, you know, it was not a paper that as a reader or as a citizen I always agreed with, uh, but you still kind of had to read it. And uh, it kind of forced people to that um, kind of commons that's so hard to find nowadays where people can kind of crawl into a niche. Some people listen to Sean Hannity, some people watch MSNBC, and we never kind of meet in the middle. The Daily News kind of forced you to accept some of their opinions with uh, your nose held and, and embrace others. But it was it, it felt very much like like truly a voice of New York. And it would yeah, be sad to see that diminished if it, if it does, in fact, disappear or, or markedly change. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we need to not I think talk about it in the past tense, right? We need to realize that you know there's a lot of people still working there and, and putting out a paper and putting articles online. Um, you know the the voice of the editorial board has been a very sort of down the middle voice, uh, sometimes moving right, moving left on different issues. The thing about the day to day reporting, which is obviously separate from that editorial board, is you know that that it has this really gritty 
tough sense to it. And obviously, there's been a lot of great reporting out of the Daily News on the crises, crises at NYCHA, uh, lots of good transit education reporting that just gets at important stories on the ground. And that's what that's where these cuts really hurt is just fewer individuals on the ground going to find stories, talking to sources, being out and about throughout the boroughs. Um, that's where when you lose this person power of these strong journalists that, you know, the city really suffers, we're in we're in generally speaking, even before these cuts, a bit of a, of a crisis in local news. Um, I don't know, you know, and this is where Teach Out's press conference today and this idea of trying to break up some of the monopoly that these companies or, you know, duopoly that, that Google and Facebook seem to have over advertising, you know, gets at is how do you sort of reverse the business model a bit? The Daily News will probably could punch above its weight. Uh, that's certainly something that uh, Gotham Gazette and City Limits have <laughs> been trained to do. And uh, just to talk about some of the stories we have on our respective sites this week, uh, you can go to citylimits.org to read an article we have about the Zellner Myrie Jesse Hamilton State Senate primary. We'll be having at least some of those candidates on the show in coming weeks. Uh, and Ben, you did an interesting story about jail design. Yeah, we just published a story. Uh, it went up last night, but really for today about how you know, there's this push in the city to obviously close the Rikers Island jail complex. And one of the big questions that officials are wrestling with is what will the replacement jail sites look like? Some folks don't know there's a actually functioning jails in Queens, Manhattan and Brooklyn already, but those are going to either be refurbished or one of the most controversial things could be torn down and really rebuilt completely with modern jail design. And so we went into some detail about what that might look like. As always, you know, in New York, you're talking about cost. The Manhattan and Brooklyn facilities are in very busy areas of the city. So how does a, you know, how does the construction work in terms of disrupting other things and integrating with the with the community? So we we took a look a look at that. And one other thing you looked at that I wanted you to touch on was. Um, Speaking of real estate and land use and such, is and then, is in Inwood. There's a lot of discussion around a rezoning. That's right. The, and speaking of neighborhoods being um, concerned and in some cases excited about changes, uh, the city council is approaching its final vote on the Inwood rezoning, which would be the fifth to move through the ULERP process, the city's uniform land use review procedure. Uh, it's a controversial proposal. It has generally the backing of Adonis Rodriguez, who has been seeking those changes for some time as a council member from that area of the city. He talked to our reporter, Sadaf Kali, uh, last week about his concerns, his hopes. Um, he's a controversial figure because of the rezoning, at least among people who are resistant to it, uh, but made a, a, an articulate case for, for why he feels the neighborhood needs the change that he has highlighted. And uh, and that is a, an interesting place where the community boards and the borough president uh, have gone one way, and it's likely the council is going to go another. And these neighborhood rezonings, generally speaking, are about a trade-off. And, and that trade-off is accepting more density, accepting more housing, because it comes with some affordable units, um, but then also a lot of city investment in the area, park space, school seats, you know, other improvements that, you know, the, the de Blasio administration in concert with the city council promises the, the local area. And that's something that's come up in the charter revision uh, discussions about whether to change that process, something you have written about as well. 
But we are coming to the end yes. of another, our second WBAI edition of Max and Murphy on 99.5 FM. Thanks so much to Ben Max, WBAI, for having us, to Reggie Behind the Glass. Next week, we'll be hearing from Marisol Alcantara and Robert Jackson, two candidates in another very highly contested state Senate race in that area of yes. Manhattan. Uh, we hope you will listen in and call in to Max and Murphy on WBAI. This is Leonard Lopate, host of Lopate at Large on WBAI. I'm proud to have been part of the WNYC family for more than 32 years and had a wonderful experience working with great colleagues and talking on the air with some of the most interesting people in the world. I'd like to take this opportunity to state publicly that I was not terminated from WNYC due to allegations of sexual or other physical misconduct. And if I offended anyone during my time there, I apologize. It was not my intention. I'm proud to have contributed to the station's growth and success and grateful to the support I've received since leaving the station. Each day now, I look forward to hosting my program, Lopate at Large, weekdays at 1 p.m. here on listener-sponsored, non-commercial WBAI New York. And I hope you'll join me. Dear listeners, we have a proposition for you. Imagine yourself taking a small box and you put 50 cents in it every day. By the end of the month, you'll have $15. By becoming a BAI buddy for 50 cents per day, or $15 a month, WBAI would be able to reduce on-air fun drives days from over 140 days to just 30 days per year. For 50 cents per day, you can ensure that regular programming is not going to be preempted for on-air fund drives. Go to wbai.org to sign up or call at 516-620-3602. Hi, I'm Valerie Doré, WBAI intern. Afrobeat Radio, the public affairs program presenting African perspectives on global issues with Louis Jacobs, is moving to Wednesdays, 10 p.m. to midnight on Wednesday, July 18th. Every third Wednesday of the month, beginning August 15th, Afrobeat Radio will host a live audience broadcast event at the Brooklyn Commons 388 Atlantic Avenue, featuring music and dance, food and beverages, pop-up markets, and more. To participate, go to www.afrobeatradio.com or look up hashtag AfrobeatRadio. All right, and once again, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. This is a listener-sponsored community radio station providing you a Pacifica state of mind since 1960. And yes, we are in fundraising mode for the spring. Oh, Lord, did I just said spring? <sighs> Summer, yes, 
Summer, as I meant to say, the summer fun drive here at WBAI and the number to call to show your support. Show your support to a new program like Max and Murphy, which just did a really nice job on another program. And it's only their second program here at WBAI. And you could call in and show your support to a show like Max and Murphy right now by calling 516-620-3602. Once again, 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org online. That's give to the number two, WBAI.org online. Okay, uh, stay tuned for a news brief coming up right now with Paul DiVienzo. Here we go. Good evening for WBAI News in New York. I'm Paul Durienzo with some of the day's news. Today is the 120th anniversary of the United States invasion of Puerto Rico during the Spanish-American War. Since then, the island has been a possession of the United States and a commonwealth in which all Puerto Rican residents have full United States citizenship. Despite the close ties that have been